The employee of the 29-year-old Brighton Moyo, who was seen in that video being brought back to life, uh, says that he has absconded from work for almost two weeks. Owner of the company, Vincent Amoretti, spoke to my colleague Stephen Grotes. He did work for me. He worked on my machines. And uh, he's a nice guy. And they've asked me, would I take him back? I'd say, yes, I'll take him back. But, you know, if he does come back, I've got to ask him what was in his mind. What was he thinking of when he went and lay in the coffin and took him to be dead? Well, the guys came to me and they said to me, um, Brighton's died. And I employ 50 people. And we've only been in business for six years. And mm. I love my staff. So I'll do anything for them. And when they said he's died, uh, my heart broke. And he said, have a look at the video that brought him back to life. And when they showed me that, you know, I could have got in the coffin and rung his neck properly. You don't do that type of thing. <laughs> he wasn't sick or anything that you know of, eh? No, he was a very healthy man. He was very strong and healthy and, uh, you know, forthright. He had a very, very strong will mm. and uh, a clever guy. But he was trying to recruit people here, I find out now, to go to this uh, ministry, okay. to go and uh, do these acts with him. From what they say, he was in a wheelchair once before and they uh, resurrected him. That was the owner of the company and employer of the 29-year-old Brighton Moyo, Vincent Amoretti, speaking to my colleague. Meanwhile, the spokesperson for Gauteng Police, Lieutenant Mavela Masondo, says that cases of fraud have been opened and investigations are still ongoing and any media interviews will jeopardize the case. So let's move on now, because that's why we're asking you that question. want to know from you uh, your thoughts on this miraculous resurrection that was performed by Pastor Alf Lacau uh, after he woke up the 29-year-old Brighton Moyo. But let's move on now. City Press journalist was held for 24 hours at Chileka Police Station in Blantyre, this after her visit to the country to do a story about Major One Prophet Bushiri. Now, he is the leader and founder of the Enlightened Christian Gathering Church. He's loved by his congregants for performing miracles and giving them special oil to anoint themselves. He and his wife were arrested in early February in charges relating to fraud, money laundering and organized crime. The congregants also say that they've lost millions to his investment scheme, which is linked to Bushiri. City Press journalist Ntombi Zodwa Makoba joins us on the line now. A very good morning to you, Ntombi. And tell us about your ordeal in Malawi. What did you go and do and why did they arrest you? Good morning to you and the listeners. Um, yo, where do I start? So I had an assignment to do in Malawi. Um, I was going there to interview, um, I mean, to investigate um, one of the, you know, popular, powerful prophets. And obviously, I didn't just wake up and say I want to go to Malawi. You know, it took, you know, weeks and weeks preparation and making sure, you know, the people that were, um, you know, giving me information, sources, you know, so eventually, um, I think it was last, was it last week Monday? I can't remember. Yeah, um, a week ago, some, yeah, rather. Um, so I went to Malawi, you know, and when I landed, uh, something very strange happened. You know, the security guard asked, um, you know, just said, when I handed my passport, he said my name very loud, like, I in terms of so-and-so from South Africa. And I was like, yes, I am. And he's like, follow me. And that's when it raised alarms. What can I ask? Is there something wrong with my passport? What have I done? And back and forth, I've landed a tree, back and forth, you know, eventually I found myself 
at the immigration, one of uh, immigration officers, you know, um, sitting there and I was questioning. And, you know, I was very uh, upfront with them. You know, I was very honest to say, look, I'm here, I'm a journalist. However, I did not tell them that I was engaging as, as the so-called um, prophet. Mm. And in, in between, you know, I'm like, what's wrong? Why am I held up? Is there some, no one could answer, you know. All I was told like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, but it's already five o'clock. What is it? You know, at some point I couldn't, my family, my employers didn't know where I was, you know, they, they you know, and I was, now I was starting to, to panic because my phone, I was roaming. At some point I lost signal. I was starting to panic and I said, can I use your phone guys to call my employers, my family? They were like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. We just um, received instruction from the above. Mm. We are detaining you up. For what? what? For what? I couldn't get answers, believe me or not. You know, it was very traumatic. You know, you find yourself in an immigration office. Mm-hmm. What have I done? You know, and second thought, eventually they say, okay. But in between, what was very strange, they didn't know who I was investigating. But in between, I don't know Chichewa. I think that's the language that I speak in Malawi. However, they, they mentioned in between their conversation, they're mentioning Bushir, Bushir. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. I'm going to spend 24 hours in jail today mm. in a cell. And eventually, a van came and I was taken to a nearest police station, which is, is the, it's less than a kilometer drive. And when I, yeah, yeah, so I spent 24 hours in, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a very traumatic experience. How, you how, know? how were you treated when you were detained? To be honest with you, I was not harassed per se, but can you imagine? I'm a black, I'm a female, sorry, not putting away. I'm a female in a foreign country. Mm. My, they took away my passport. No one is explaining why. Do you get what I mean? Mm. It, that, it's very tra- that, that part on its own, it was very, very traumatic. It's very, very traumatic. Let alone how I was treated, where did I sleep? Can you imagine? I've never spent a day or 24 hours at the police station. You know, at some point when I was sitting there, I was told one of the cops just came, one of the police officers came and said, sit on the floor. I was like, for what? You know, they're like, no, 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 you must follow the instruction. I had to, to sit on the floor. I tell you. what Did you get in touch with the South African embassy? Uh, and what was their reaction when you told them about this? You know, um, uh, uh, so when I got to the police station, one of the, I'm not sure it's friends with the police cop, I, I, I was desperate. I'm like, can I use your phone? I, you know, I ask, can I use your phone? And he gave me his phone. And ever since I gave him money, I think I had 50 rand and then I had to use his phone. The first person that I called was one of my editors, you know, and then called my family. And since that, from there, the phone was ringing off the hook, not my phone, one of the police officer's phone. You know, I must say, the high commission, like, really, really played a huge role because at some point, one of them told me, you know what, don't be your life is not safe. You know, I was booked at Portia Hotel and I was told where that you are safe where you are right now. Do not even drive to Portia Hotel, you know, because, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I was followed from the plane from uh, Tambo. Two people were following me. Apparently they had my picture. They knew everything about me, passport number, the ticket number, which is freaking out. I was very freaking out when I got that. But at least now I knew why I was, you know, why, you know at least now I understood why I, why I was there. You know, because one step, um, the, I won't mention names, uh, uh, the, one of the executives or, uh, from uh, Con- uh, High Commission told, told me that, you know what, 
Dombi, you were followed because you're doing this particular story to and people who are following you from there. Yeah. And what you are saying is this all because of Pastor Shepherd Bushiri. You were investigating him or you were doing a story on him. <laughs> I was doing a story and I was in yeah, I was doing a story on him. And and what was your angle that you were going to pursue just very briefly? Sure. I would rather not comment on that. You know, this is a very mm-hmm. complex okay. case. So right. they, yeah, so okay. I'd rather not comment because right. I don't want to give out. And, and There's Tombi, a case going on. Yes, yeah. Tombi, thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, that was the City Press journalist in Tombi Zodwa Now, to get reaction, we're joined on the line by the Liberal legal representative of Pastor Shepherd Bushiri's advocate, Terence Beloy. Very good morning to you, sir, and welcome. Morning, thanks, and welcome, and thanks to you for Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your response to the allegation in relation to what has happened to the journalist that was uh, doing a story on Shepherd Bushiri and was followed from Awar Tambo and, of course, detained in um, in Malawi? Look, uh, it's very strange. Um, I-, I believe each and every country has its own laws and regulations, especially uh, when it comes to issues of information. So it's very clear that she does not tell more details or share some light as to exactly why was she detained, what kind of story was she doing. Because from where we stand, we were not aware of anything that she was doing. We're not aware of anything maybe she could be planning to do. It's worse that we don't even know what story is she pursuing and about what. So for her to be implementing a profit, which doesn't make sense at all. So, uh, was there any communication from Malawi immigration officials with the Prophet here in relation to what is happening with this journalist or not? Look, I can confirm that there's no way. Because, look, first she cannot disclose what, she was, what story she's being on. How would he have possibly known to say or to be in contact with the immigration officers? That's that. She never disclosed. She's not even willing to disclose now. Imagine how many journalists are out there investigating. What will now is thinking out her based on what, on something that she cannot share. Does the Prophet have so much influence in a in, in Malawi? That's another thing. Uh, it, it's virtually impossible for him to be controlling the country in the manner which he described. He, he doesn't have that influence to instruct the immigration officers by the border gate to say, there's such a such a journalist coming, detain her. But it doesn't tell at all, doesn't make sense. It's not that kind of a person who has that influence to do so in his own country. All right, thank you. That was the legal representative of Pastor Shepherd Bushiri advocate Terence Beloy. Now, to discuss the issue of the growing number and the mushrooming of churches, uh, prosperity churches in South Africa, uh, we are joined by the founder of the Movement Against Abuse in Churches, Solomon Ezang Ashoms. A very good morning to you, sir, and welcome. Thanks a lot. Good morning. You wrote a lot about uh, these charismatic churches. What is your view on the mushrooming of these type of churches which claim to perform miracles? Well, it's quite unfortunate because we have uh, seen not just the mush rooming of uh, these churches, we've also seen the different strategies that they are beginning to use uh, for them to be able to, um, you know, get a foothold, for them to be able to attract uh, certain audiences, for them to be able to to attract people who could uh, really empower them financially, because a lot of it is what it's all about. We've seen the commercialization of, of, of religion in itself. You know, whatever uh, argument uh, people do 
we, we know that they're trying to uh, be able to get some sort of uh, uh, financial gain out of it. But I think, you know, we live in a country where there's a lot of problems and people uh, tend to uh, be attracted by these churches. And these, some of these churches and, and pastors and bishops and prophets, they've uh, realized that, you know, in South African community, there are people who are hopeless, maybe they're sick, financially not doing well, spiritual problems, and so they package their product. I wouldn't call it church. They package their product in such an attractive way. Easy, come and get it. Uh, you know, just come and pay some money. You would uh, you would, uh, you would, get what you want. Just come and use an oil or water. You would get what you want. And, and so because of that, also, they tend to, once in a while, create a certain sort of miracle that would make the headlines, uh, you know, online, uh, on TV, and, and, and when people see that, you know, they don't really question it. They just get attracted to it, thinking, okay, I'm going to go here and my problems will be solved overnight. And it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Are these people uh, charlatans or are they for real? They're charlatans. In the book of Acts chapter 8 in the Bible, there's uh, a guy called uh, Simon the Sorcerer. You know, and, and some of them are indeed sorcerers. Simon the Sorcerer was performing great uh, great feats you know, in the city of Samaria until the real apostles and prophets came into town and they, you know, they created their own miracles and the people realized that there's a fake and there's a real. I would consider these people charlatans. A lot of what they do is either manufactured, staged, or they use a power that is not the power of God. You know, the power that would hypnotize you, you would think is the real thing, but it's not really the real thing. So we have the invasion uh, of different churches by charlatans, by magicians, by by sorcerers. And uh, I must say, though, some of these charlatans and magicians and that are called so-called prophets and bishops now, they started in a good way. They really wanted to do what is right as pastors, as leaders, uh, but the pressure of fame of growing numbers of in your churches, the pressure of, of money, the pressure of wanting to compete with others, you know, now down on them. So they look, they had to look for, for a shorter way and a quick way in, in growing their fame and their ministry, and, and they find themselves in this situation. So we must identify charlatans, and we must call charlatans charlatans. They are not of God. That's why it's important for us to know our Bible. If you don't study scriptures, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to evaluate and descend their acts and know uh, and see certain as times that they, they are not really of God. Mm-hmm. How did they attain their wealth and these lavish lifestyles of some of these bosses? Different ways. Uh, for they, they have different sources of income, obviously. The way that they preach, uh, manipulate people uh, to give financially. Uh, they, they use scriptures to manipulate you to say, you know, like maybe you should give for, for every prayer point that you have. If you don't give a seat, that's money. If you don't give a seat to God, God is not going to answer your prayer. So people tend to give. And then they have different products, merchandising, different uh, products in church, like oil. They sell it water. They sell it handkerchiefs. They sell it the pictures of the prophet or the pastor. Uh, they sell that. And one thing I've seen lately, though, is a lot of these people they make their money a lot through they run investment businesses, investment schemes, you know, and they now attract, they now force or manipulate their members to invest in the investment scheme because here they are. They drive, you know, they. 
they fly in a private jet, they drive the Rolls Royces, they live in a big house, and the members now want to live that kind of life also because it's very attractive. So they tell you, look, if you want to live the kind of life that I live, you have to invest in this scheme. So they train even their other pastors, their other leaders, to encourage, manipulate these people to invest. And they've invested so much. And then they would say, okay, invest 100000 and you're going to get your money back in six months, 300% you know, profit out of that money. And it's two years now, you haven't received that. And you cannot, you know, you cannot meet them to talk to them because they, they are just out of reach. You cannot approach them because they are leaders. You know the way sometimes in churches we see pastors as some, some sort of semi-god, and we don't want to you know, talk to them. And, and, you, and you're disappointed, and then you end up leaving the church, and another new batch of uh, gullible people man, come in at the same thing. And I feel that is the way that most of them lately, that is, that's the cash cow, this investment pyramid and schemes that they run. And people need to realize that you cannot go into business with your pastor. I don't care who he is. He's not the best businessman. Just because he has a microphone and he attracts hundreds of thousands doesn't mean he's the best business person.